Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the Rust Games Development Podcast. I'm Richard Patching, and I'm joined this week with Forrest Anderson, other known as Angel on Fire. Hello. And this week, we have the uh, amazing opportunity to speak to Carter Anderson, the project manager, lead developer, and creator of the Bevy engine. Uh, we're so excited about this. Um, it's been a kind of long time coming, but understandably, Carter's been extremely busy over the last year or so. Uh, but today we have him on the show. Carter, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a bit about your background and kind of how you got into Rust? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Carter. Uh, I won't say all those things that you just said because uh, you've said them. So uh, yeah, I, I started my, uh, my game dev journey pretty, pretty early. Um, I think it was middle school and I was building a, uh, a game maker game. And at that point I didn't know how to code. Um, I had just uh, downloaded the program and started doing their WYSIWYG stuff. And uh, I made like a, a bubble breaker sort of game thing. And I had like Nirvana playing in the background. And uh, uh, let's see, then my, my dad saw me doing this and he's like, Carter, you should learn how to program. Um, I have a, a student who do, uh, does C++, like he should teach you. And so they started teaching me C++ and I hated it. Like absolutely hated it, was not ready for that at all. And I dropped it after a, a few months, I think. And then fast forward to high school, made most of the way through high school without actually doing any any programming at all. And then my junior year, I picked up a Java book because uh, I wanted to build games and uh, started learning Java, started building some uh, some OpenGL stuff, um, built some uh, renderers and some asset loaders and uh, uh, some audio stuff, uh, broke into 3D pretty quickly. Uh, I was doing Blender also from a very early age, like uh, middle school as well. Um, so those kind of like, uh, evolved together. Uh, then I went to, to college and uh, started studying computer science and uh, uh, segued into web dev for a bit. I built an HTML5 engine. Um, it's, uh, this was like in the very early days of HTML5 and WebGL and stuff. And that was really exciting for me. I did some WebSockets and some network programming um, that transitioned me into um, Go. Uh, Go had just released, and I wanted to build like a web stack in Go. And so I, I ported my full JavaScript, HTML5, uh, networked multiplayer uh, engine to Go. So the, the, the front end was still web stuff, and then the back end was, was Go. And played around with like a, a, a like master uh, uh, worker model stuff. And uh, uh, that eventually, like the Go space is very similar to the Rust space. And Rust was slowly gaining popularity um, around that time. And so I started diving into to Rust as well and became enamored with it pretty quickly. Um, I, I got in pretty early. Like it was, it still had like the tilde syntax for pointers and uh, a lot of like the, uh, the UX stuff, like um, uh, non-lexical lifetimes and stuff hadn't landed yet. So it was, it was very different. Um, and uh, But I did enjoy it, and I saw the, the, the potential in it. And uh, my senior year, uh, I I'd already done some graphics courses, and um, uh, I had the option to do a senior thesis. And I, I talked to our graphics programmer, uh, guy, like the, the, the teacher that everybody went to for that sort of thing. 
I'm like, hey, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, uh, 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 you can build your, your Rust game engine. Like that, that meets our criteria. And so I, I built a Rust game engine um, and uh, I also called it Bevy. Um, I, uh, I released it as open source as Bevy too um, after it was done. And uh, once I decided later that I was gonna use that name again, <laughs> I, I archived the repository, renamed it. So there's, there's Bevy today, which is all brand new code and very different from Bevy from my senior thesis, but it's, it's an interesting little tidbit there. Um, and uh, uh, let's see. So I built that and Amethyst wasn't around yet, or at least I was not aware of it at that time. Um, and uh, it was a very different experience for me because there were only like low level graphics libraries. Piston was around, I think, um, but that's, I think that's a pretty different space um, than something like Amethyst or Godot or Unity, um, which is what I kind of wanted to build. Um, so I experimented with a lot of stuff. Um, I was still very on a, uh, on a networking kick. And so I uh, pitched it as like a networking first game engine. We had an EC, not S, just an EC. Um, and I focused a lot on kind of synchronizing state between the client and server and having like distributed computing on the server side. And I did, uh, I built like a, an OpenGL shader graph thing, um, but the, the UX of that was never very good. I didn't like it very much. So rambling aside, that's kind of like the uh, precursor to um, what led me to uh, my, my, my game dev uh, journey. And um, then college ended and uh, I got a job at Microsoft and uh, I moved out to Seattle and uh, uh, want, knew I wanted to keep doing game stuff, but I was not doing game stuff at Microsoft property. Um, and uh, I, I did some Unity, I did some Godot, and started building like a, a Smash Bros style game um, and didn't know what it was gonna be for a while, but uh, uh, I knew I wanted it to be in that vein. And I liked Unity. Um, I spent some time on it, did a lot of tutorials, um, built a lot of prototypes in it. Um, but it was always kind of annoying to me that it wasn't open source. I really valued that. And um, Godot was on the rise at that point. Um, it was still kind of the early days of their open source release, but it really appealed to me. And uh, uh, let's see here. So I started, I started uh, porting stuff to Godot and that got me um, pretty quickly into the source code of Godot and I started contributing. Uh, I got, <laughs> because of my Microsoft history and my Unity history, I knew I wanted C-sharp uh, coding. And at that point, when I first started, C-sharp wasn't a thing yet. Um, and so I, I wrote everything in GDScript. I, I started developing the idea for the game, which uh, ultimately became Hi-Hat. Uh, I have a lot of, I won't go too, too deep into what that is, but uh, I've got a lot of YouTube videos and stuff about Hi-Hat. Um, but it's a Super Smash Bros game where you stack hats on your head to uh, get different powers and you're trying to knock hats off of other people's heads. It's, I never actually released it, but it got, very close to being releasable uh, near the end. Um, so yeah, let's see. Um, wrote it in GDScript initially, and then uh, someone started working on C-sharp support, and I knew I wanted that, and so I started uh, contributing to that on and off, and I adopted that as soon as I could. And um, let's see here. Um, I really uh, fell in love with the, the Godot approach to game development. like. Their, their APIs were very straightforward. Um, their scene system and their node system in particular really stood out to me as 
um, valuable uh, game building tools. Like uh, Unity at the time didn't have nested prefabs, and uh, Godot had a really nice holistic um, like scene nesting system, which is uh, better in a lot of ways than nested prefabs are. And uh, I knew I liked that. Oh, I I'm seeing a hand up. Uh, sorry, I forgot that that was a, a thing we're doing here. So uh, Forrest, uh, what's up? Yeah, no worries, no worries. So I was just kind of thinking, um, you described a lot that in your past and like when you were going through, like since since a kid, you were thinking in terms of what would a game engine require? And so what would a developer come and use this? Uh, like how, how would they go about using it? What would the API look like? And I was curious, um, from like a lot of, what you had done was it all experience that you had sort of just tried yourself figured out what worked what didn't work or did you have like did you go and read like a lot of textbooks on game engines and and have considerations from this as well yeah so almost all of this is uh uh built up via experimentation and uh uh small bits and pieces of information over time i haven't actually I haven't read a single game dev textbook i've as, as a younger kid, um, I perused them in the library. Um, like I'd, uh, I saw like uh, uh, how to build 3D games and like I, I read about armatures and animation and stuff long before I could fully understand those things. And uh, so I've, I paged through them, but uh, no, I, I haven't read a single uh, game dev textbook. And I'm, I might in the future, but I don't have any plans to. I think that uh, getting your hands dirty and building things and uh, uh, kind of building up your mental models over time is uh, a great way to do this. And uh, it works very well for me. Yeah. So when you started using Godot, you could sort of see that the way that they were doing it, they had some like interesting ways that might have been different than you thought. And you were able to sort of uh, build off that. Yeah. So uh, uh, Godot, uh, I, I fell in love with it for a very long time. Like I was I was developing on it and uh, using it for uh, uh, five years um, before I even considered building something else. And I still think that it's arguably the best engine on the market, like not for everything, but for most indie developers, I think it's a, a really, really compelling experience. Um, and uh, But yeah, the scene system uh, really stood out to me. But uh, C Sharp did at the time feel very tacked on and having worked on the internals of that um, and the uh, uh, marshalling and unmarshalling and uh, this like this barrier between me and the actual C++ core of the engine, um, it I, I got a little disenchanted with that side of it. Like I wanted to uh, write some code, hit F12 in my IDE and then see the source code um, uh, of the engine and like be able to move around and like make changes and Godot allows the the last part of that where you can uh, you can if you see something you want to change you can easily change it but uh, the the mental models are very different and you're you're navigating uh, the core structure of the engine in C++ which looks different from the scripting layer which uh, looks different from the C# -sharp binding aspects of the scripting layer and it's 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 fine it's workable it's great but um, I started to feel these um, uh, potential uh, improvements for like the way I wanted to build games. And uh, I already had all of my history with Rust and building game engines um, for my undergrad. And uh, uh, I, I decided to start experimenting. Uh, and 
throughout the, the Godot development experience, I was also following the Amethyst development uh, stuff and was doing my own experiments there and trying to make that work. And uh, I, I was really kind of pushing Amethyst um, and trying to make that work for me. And in a lot of ways it would have, um, but iteration times were kind of uh, suboptimal. Uh, like <laughs> uh, I'd make a single change and then have to wait 30, 35 seconds uh, to test it. And when compared with uh, the four seconds that it takes to compile uh, my Godot code in C-sharp or the zero seconds it takes to interpret the GD script, uh, that it, I wasn't willing to give up those fast iteration times. Um, so that was kind of like a, uh, uh, one, one of the big barriers for me. And there were also things like uh, the, the complexity and it was missing some features and didn't have an editor yet. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I loved Amethyst. I was following its development for a long time, um, very uh, into it, the internals of it, but uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't perfect for me. And so uh, I had this mental model of what I wanted the world to look like. And uh, uh, I had all these learnings from Bevy and, or <laughs> not Bevy, from uh, Godot and uh, my experience building Hi-Hat, and uh, I was ready to start experimenting. So I did in December 2019, uh, I started uh, experimenting and I built a, a WGP renderer and uh, uh, started playing around with um, Legion, the ECS, and uh, started convincing myself that this was a path that I wanted to take. And uh, uh, around that time, uh, I was also preparing myself to leave Microsoft because I'd wanted to leave for a long time to kind of pursue my own interests. Um, but we'd also just gone through a reorg and uh, the new place I was in was, uh, we'll, we'll call it suboptimal. Um, I, I don't want to uh, go into that too much because uh, that's a, a conversation in and of itself. But uh, uh, for, for a variety of reasons, it wasn't great for me um, and uh, I wanted to, to move on. And so I did and uh, uh, things worked out pretty well for me. Um, it was, um, six months before I released Bevy. Um, I, uh, let's see, I left Microsoft in March, uh, and then released in August. So, uh, uh I was completely incognito. Uh, I was not doing open development at the time. I was slowly pulling in a few interested parties to kind of look at the code and, uh, see what they thought, but it was very quiet. And, uh, I, I was able to kind of, uh, really zero in on building things with no distractions. And <laughs> I look fondly on those times a lot uh, because uh, now I have lots of distractions and uh, they're very, very good distractions, but they're, uh, 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 it's, it's very different from just waking up every day and keeping my head down and building stuff. Yeah. And, and Bevy kind of just jumped out from nowhere. I mean, like I, it, just in terms of like the community, um, I remember, seeing an announcement i think it was on reddit and like i jumped onto the bevy website and i just saw this not only incredible library that obviously was was really well designed but the documentation the website everything about it was like super polished and um did did you was that kind of deliberate did you spend a lot of time getting ready for that first release when you were going to announce it to the world yeah, um, I, I have a deep respect for uh, kind of user experience and perception. And uh, I, I knew that I wanted uh, to do the release with kind of uh, the minimum viable slice of a user experience. Like I wanted 
I wanted people to open up the website and have consistent documentation. So I built like my own documentation book system and uh, I wrote the, the introduction tutorial and thought a lot about kind of uh, how people should be introduced to the engine. And I really wanted to like slowly introduce individual concepts to people. And I've, so on the one hand, uh, uh, I spent a lot of time on, on uh, the website and how it looks um, probably for a good month before release um, in, in parallel with all the other stuff I was doing. Like I'd, I'd say that I probably spent myself uh, two to one uh, game dev to website stuff for the last month. But uh, I kind of broke myself into jail because I think I did a pretty good job with the introduction and sold people on that uh, style of learning and then did not build any more after that. I just got so caught up with uh, building features and community building and uh, I, I let that stagnate. What was that initial launch like? Because you'd gone from this side project that you'd been working on, you know, stealth in the dark incognito um and then you, you you release and it suddenly garners a load of attention what was that transition from it kind of being this side project to something that you, you've now got you know people are really interested in potentially um submitting pull requests for and discussing design ideas um yeah tell me a bit about that that transition period for you yeah, it was it was rocky. Like I, I I released it, and not even like in my wildest dreams did I anticipate like an overnight uh like jump in popularity like we had. Like I expected to slowly slowly pull people over over time, and maybe uh, have to solve these problems like three months from now, four months from now, a year from now. But no, day day one I had a bunch of people. Uh, asking questions and writing code and uh, it was it was a lot uh, and uh, uh, I I pretty quickly uh, decided that this was a problem that needed to be solved quickly and uh, I wrote a blog post about like um, I forget what I titled it but it was like the um, my plan for the next six months of Bevy and uh, how we're gonna run things and I uh, uh, I, I I really doubled down on the uh, benevolent dictator for life approach. Um, I, I value my control over the project. I think I've got a lot of good ideas, um, but I also didn't want to like provide space for other people to build stuff. And uh, uh, yes, uh, let's hear what Force has to say. Well, yeah. So you you said this term "benevolent dictator for life." However, in your in your earlier blog post, you used a much better term that I like a lot more: uh, "benevolent dictator for as long as I can manage it." And I think this really has like a nice touch to it because it keeps you in touch with the or it it tells like the the, the people who read these posts and find out about this new engine that um, you you intend on being like the the key maintainer for quite a long time. Um, however. Uh, this like you are open to ways of the product evolving, and so um, not that I want to like derail your train of thought, but I think I'd really like to hear about um, sort of how this process has evolved for like in the position of like a community manager, and especially um, just like the other people that you've brought on and and started to like put trust into it, so that that you're not necessarily um, always the captain at the helm of the ship. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I knew like in that blog post that. Uh, this was kind of exploding beyond my capacity very quickly. Um, and so for, for these as long as I can manage it, manage it was definitely intentional because I, I knew that 
there was an end date. Like I'm, and over time, it's just become more and more clear that I'm a bottleneck here and that we need to sort out other ways of, of running the project. And I, I do value top-down developments. And I think that um, I, I'm going to hold on to some level of absolute control for as long as I can. But at the same time, uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of people um, that want to build stuff. And I'm, I'm now very clearly the bottleneck. We have hundreds of pull requests that haven't been merged. And uh, uh, so uh, I, we're, we're, we're slowly sorting out the, 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 the way to sort of delegate and to take some of this decision making from the top and start moving it across uh, the community. And uh, initially, uh, I, I dipped my toes into the water. Uh, I gave Francois, um, he's mockers F on GitHub, uh, uh, rights to merge quote unquote, uncontroversial uh, PRs, uh, things like bug fixes and tweaks or documentation improvements or new examples, um, stuff that like wouldn't kind of change the direction of the engine outright, but uh, uh, would let me focus on those things. And uh, I picked Francois because he was, he's been active basically since the beginning and has demonstrated very clear both technical prowess and uh, uh, aligned vision with what I have uh, for the project. And uh, he's been doing a great job. And uh, then uh, Alice uh, started doing, picking up project management work and they've been doing this for a very long time. And uh, uh, I very recently gave them uh, uh, documentation rights so they can now merge like examples and code docs and book docs. And they've, they've kicked off a, a book rewrite effort, um, and I'm giving them absolute control over that, relative absolute control. I still, I still chime in every once in a while, um, but uh, that's been going pretty well. Um, and over time, I've, I do plan on kind of uh, continuing that pattern, giving those people more powers, and also pulling new people in. Um, and uh, uh, I think that subject matter experts and empowering them to operate within their kind of pillars more uh, uh, autonomously is the next step for us. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, with Bevy being quite a you know, generalized engine, um, it's able to do like 2D, 3D, and you're building an engine that can build lots of different types of games. It obviously requires uh, lots of different features. Um, do you try and do you have a really good grasp on most of those aspects of the engine or are there now aspects of the engine where you don't have a lot of experience previously and do, do you delegate that to experts or do you go away yourself and educate yourself on how to maybe implement a pbr renderer or something like that is is it something you delegate away or do you do, or do you do both yeah it's it's definitely a bit of both especially these days with uh, more and more people uh, contributing to the project um the I am a generalist, and I've I kind of pride myself on being able to, quote unquote, do everything. But I acknowledge that I'm not an expert in a lot of things. Um, like I know a lot about rendering and how to draw stuff to a screen and the, like how things perform. But when it comes to things like uh, uh, building modern uh, like uh, uh, global illumination or something, like I just I haven't gotten that deep into it and. I, I want to, but I've got limited bandwidth. And so when somebody comes in and they're like, I built 10 global illumination experiments and I'm going to build one in Bevy now, like that's, that makes a lot of sense to me to, to let them kind of take the reins there. 
Um, so I'll, I'll do my best to ensure that they're building stuff in a way that is compatible with our uh, our APIs and our goals for the project. But um, yeah, people are definitely uh, picking up the reins here. A good example was uh, uh, in 0 0.6. So I, I spent a lot of time building out the core APIs of the new renderer. We completely re rewrote the renderer and made a lot of changes to how things were made. And I'm pretty happy with how that, how that landed. And I did a lot of that work. But then uh, Rob Swain picked up a lot of the higher level features, like building uh, shadows and clustered forward rendering and uh, did a lot of stuff that is way beyond me in terms of like my uh, my graphics experience. And uh, I, uh, it, it worked out quite nicely. And um, I think the, the 0.6 release was a lot, like landed a lot better and convinced people that the renderer was worth it um, because of Rob's work. So uh, yeah, I, I try to uh, <laughs> acknowledge when uh, I've, I've reached a limit somewhere and let other people pick, pick up the reins. But I also like building things and I, I like, I, I want to have my hands in everything. So in terms of sort of this, this bandwidth of how much you can do, um, and having done this for, uh, I guess, about a year and a half now, maybe I, I think about a year and a half, maybe more, I may be mistaken. Yeah, but, it's about that. Um, I'm, yeah, about there. And so you've sort of come into this position where you are your own boss, you're choosing what to do. Um, and for myself, when I put myself in this position for just projects I'm working on or anything, I often find it really difficult to figure out what works well for my lifestyle. So I'm kind of curious about um, how do you find that balance, but then also when it comes to um, your, your income and so sort of like the, the GitHub sponsors model, how does this all sort of work together for you as a sort of freelance developer, sort of, um, I don't know, like head of the project getting sponsorship and everything like that? Yeah, uh, that's uh, the the first part of that question uh, was a huge challenge for me. Um, like, I've never had to run a project on the scale before, and I've never had to kind of contend with my micromanagey, like I want to run everything side of my personality, and uh, like this size of a project. Like, my work in the professional world was always a little bit more scoped and uh, I was a little bit more capable of kind of stepping back from the work because it just wasn't as interesting to me. Um, and, uh, but now this is like my baby and like, I want to be a part of everything all the time. And every time anybody says a single thing, like I want to, I want to respond to it. And, uh, I want to, I want to review all the code and make all the decisions. And that is just completely impossible to do and extremely unhealthy. And, uh, over time, like initially, I try to do that every day and read everything and do everything and uh, just spiraled over time and uh, uh, burnt out pretty quickly and uh, a lot of hard lessons were learned there. Um, but uh, I'm starting to kind of build a better uh, relationship with the project. Like I'm trying to have boundaries and uh, do weekends and uh, uh, not, I don't have to read every message and that doesn't bother me anymore. I don't, uh, I, I kind of build systems that let the right uh, information uh, propagate up to me instead of me needing to kind of um, uh, do all of that sorting myself. And I like it, it still kind of hurts. And I, I value the side of me that cares that much, but it, it had to go. So <laughs> there's that. Is that, one, is that one of the hardest challenges? Just like, sometimes letting go of your baby and sort of letting other people be hands-on with it because 
obviously like you, you run a risk potentially that you become a single point of failure for the project like if you decided one day you, t- you won the lottery you went to decide that you were going to go and travel for a year you know how, how do you hand the project over do you have the do you have the infrastructure in place that you can delegate everything away to other people that you trust um is that a kind of tension that you fight like letting go uh yeah uh, so that that's something that i would have worried about a bit more if i left like the first six months of the project where uh the community was still kind of it was there to an extent like we we really did have a huge community basically on day one but uh the kind of the development process wasn't fully sorted out the uh like who do you go to to get stuff merged or to develop ideas how do you develop ideas like all this stuff was in flux and if i'd left then i'm i'm relatively convinced that the project would have petered out but uh, a year and uh, a little over a year and a half later uh things are very different and every single slice of the engine has multiple people who are subject matter experts on it ECS is very good to go. We have so much, so many brains working on that now, and more of most of them are better at it than I am. So that side is totally fine. Rendering, so many people are, are jumping into that. Like I could, I could step back from rendering today, and probably the that would that slice of the engine would be fine. Um, and uh, those are kind of the big ones. And uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, if I were to leave today everything would be fine. Like I, I have zero doubt in my mind that, that Bevy could live without me. Um, we'd, we'd have to sort out new ways for everybody else would have to sort out new ways to uh, make decisions because uh, the person at the top would be gone, but we're already on that path anyway. And most people can kind of see where we're headed. And I, I trust the people uh, who care and who are involved to, to, to do this stuff. So I, I'm not worried at all. Um, I don't think anybody should be worried because we're, we have a huge community and so so many brains with so much uh, deep knowledge of all the slices of the engine. Like we're we're fine, um, <laughs> and I think that's important because yeah, I there life happens and either uh, something could come up with health or something like I want to travel the world, which has been on my list to do for a while. And so yeah, this 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 could happen at some point, and it's something that we should be ready for. And I think we are. Um, GitHub has a, a nice um, successor feature as well. So if like um, if if I die or something, um, the, the the rights to the organization will be sent to someone. I won't say who because I don't want to create incentives for people to like kill me. But I, I'm not actually worried about that. I, I think it's a fun thing to do. But, um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, somebody somebody will pick up the reins of Bevy if I disappear from the internet and. Um, like, It'll, it'll it'll probably be a bunch of different people, um, and I, I haven't. That would certainly make sense. I haven't forgotten Force's question about sponsors, um, which is the other half of his his question. Um, it, that, yeah, so on the one hand, uh, that has been wildly successful. Like, um, there's no. I, I, I looked for this. There's no uh, like ranking of like top GitHub sponsors people, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm up there in terms of like top earners. Um, I'm making about. $70,000 a year, um, which is uh, more than enough to live on um, and enough to make me happy. But it's uh, it's not market rate for my skill set. Like I was making way, way more money at Microsoft. Um, so uh, I think that uh, GitHub sponsors is great and it's better than nothing. Um, but open source definitely still has a funding problem. Um, and uh, 
if if people want to pursue a career in open source, um, I I wouldn't bet on it honestly. Like it's 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 hard to make it work, and even if it does, like you'll you'll barely get by. And that being said, we do have some really interesting funding conversations in the works right now. Um, I'm not ready to to talk about that yet because like nothing's set in stone, but uh, uh, a, a more like reaching market rate is starting to feel less uh, unattainable for me. And that'd be great because then I can start focusing on getting other people paid to work on Bevy, which needs to happen. <laughs> so many people are doing good things and I want them to uh, have stability when they're, when they're doing those things. So. Yeah, I guess that's similar to Godot because Godot um, went with a kind of Patreon route and they were able to uh, fund a couple of full-time developers. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of like how, how that develops for you in the future. What what do you see in, in 2022 as being your biggest challenge? Yeah, uh, let's see, 2022, the biggest challenge. Um, from a high level, I'd say that um, I want to start making like specific types of games easier to make in Bevy. Like I think we need, we, we spent the past year and six months or a year and a half um, building uh, the core out. And when I first released Bevy, I thought I was done. Like I, I, I built, I had the renderer, I had the ECS, I had a scene system. I was like, all right, time to take the next step into building um, the editor experience and uh, building like skeletal animation and high level uh, uh, scene building tools and tile maps. And uh, uh, that did not happen. Uh, it became pretty clear pretty quickly that there were, there were some foundational things to do. Uh, and uh, initially I got a little uh, uh, sidetracked on ECS. Like I, uh, so many people resonated with it um, and were like, wow, uh, the, the Bevy user experience is so great and I love it. Um, but then uh, they had a, a few small hangups. Like I, uh, I wish it, it had this thing or I wish I didn't have to type this out and, uh, or uh, uh, I wish I could uh, store it a different way. And um, over, I rewrote it. Um, I ported it to Hex. I because uh, initially it was in, in Legion. Um, I but yeah, Legion first, then then Hex, and then a full uh, rewrite um, from scratch. Uh, and the, I, I'm happy we did it. Um, it was a stimulating thing for me to do, and it, it also attracted a lot of people who also uh, get sidetracked on those things. Um, but when you're trying to build like a, a general purpose game engine, um, if you spend too much time on that, like it's you're you're no longer building a game engine, you're building an ECS. And um, I so we we did the ECS stuff. Then it became clear that um, uh, rendering had some flaws, and I, I'm pretty happy with the the first stab at it. But um, it was very clearly limited, especially on the performance side, but also on the conceptual side. And so I'm, I'm glad we spent we spent the time to kind of rework that and build better foundations. That being said, all that aside, um, we've we've really focused on building out the core and that's great. And I think now we need to start focusing on empowering people to build games. And uh, uh, so the, the rest of 2022 for me is going to be moving in that direction as fast as possible. 
Yeah. And so on this topic of sort of getting more games out of Bevy and seeing what people can create with it, um, the Bevy Jam just happened. And I saw that there was like, I think like 80 submissions, um, which is awesome for for a, a first time game jam. And so can you tell me a little bit about how that went and sort of maybe what were some of the like the submissions like, like some or actually wait, I think today's after the voting period. So has it been announced yet who the winner is? Do you want to talk a little bit? Yeah, so we did announce the winners and uh, we had so many great submissions. I was blown away by the participation there. Um, So we had, uh, I think, 430 something people signed up um, and then 74 people submitted uh, like submissions. (laughs) And uh, uh, we had something like 1600 votes on the submissions. So lots of participation. And uh, the winner was a Petty Party, um, which I love. That was one of my favorites. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that they uh, they got recognition. Um, it's a um, kind of like Mario Party. And uh, so you're, you're moving around on a board and you're playing against a computer. Um, and then they, they built a bunch of different mini games like Rock, Paper, Scissors um, and uh, Jousting. And um, uh, I've forgotten some of them already. But uh, the, the theme of the jam was unfair advantage. And the way they kind of built that into their game was they, uh, uh, they let the, um, the AI cheat in all these games. And I think they like rigged the dice rolls as well so that you're always rolling the same numbers or something. Um, and yeah, the, the presentation was pretty good and uh, it, it had a really nice like tone to it. Like it was just a, a very nice cohesive package that both uh, was fun to play and uh, like delightful and uh, also captured the, the theme very well. Um, so yeah, Petty Party was great. And this is also uh, in the 0.6 release, we, we added like first party WASM support for the first time, thanks to, to WGPU's work in that, uh, uh, that area. And uh, this was a great way to kind of stress test that. And a lot of the entries used WASM, so you can just like pull them up on itch and play them in your browser, which uh, was really nice. And it turned out that uh, uh, building a WASM build um, really increased the, the number of people that were willing to play your game. Um, so the, the meta for participating in Debbie Jams, I guess, is now make sure you have a WASM build. <laughs> and you yourself actually developed a game, right, for the Game Jam. What was that like, uh, just taking a bit of a step back and being able to actually do some games development using your own engine? Yes, uh, that was a wonderful experience. And dogfooding is very important to me. I think it's a core part of building software is like being your own customer. And unfortunately, for most of Eddie's development, I've been focused on laying these foundations because like, I'd I'd already kind of done dogfooding in a way where I like I spent five years building hi-hat the game and developing kind of my vision for what I wanted the game engine to be. And uh, so I had all this, like these ideas and um, uh, like uh, architectures built up in my mind and I had to build them out first before I could start building games on them and being my own customer. And so I've been putting it off until I like, that was in a good spot. And I think we are in a good spot now. And this was my first time building something that wasn't like, a breakout clone or something. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a very good experience. I throughout the process, I built up um, a long list of notes for improvements, and uh, kind of revisited a lot of things that um, other people had been telling me were problems, and I had been 
um, saying like, no, that's not a problem at all. Like, uh, this is this is totally fine. And then the second I actually have to deal with this stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, no, you're totally right. Whoops. Um, like, uh, uh, this is this is a little jargony, and um, I, I don't want to go too much into the details here. But a uh, looping run criteria. Everybody for the longest time have been telling me, Carter, system run criteria, uh, being able to loop is super foot gunny and very easy to to like. Uh, introduce bugs into your game, and I'm like, no, it's worth it. I promise. Like, it, it lets you do all these things, and this I hit like two like really really nasty looping run criteria bugs when building my my jam entry, and uh, was was immediately convinced that they were right. So yeah, dog fooding is very important, and uh, I plan on doing it more, especially now that things are kind of the dust has settled on the core architecture. I've just went and looked at the bevy jam on itch.io and it's actually 70% of the games, uh, just a bit about a bit over 70, I think that, that are playable in the browser. And so I think whenever I see other game jams, it always annoys me so much when they just have a windows build or whatever, and I can't play it because I don't have a windows machine. And so um, I, I'm also curious, like, or, I mean, just like a small fact, do you, do you think that that remaining 30%, like, would they have had difficulties getting it up onto a, a browser to play or was it just like they didn't compile for browser? Do you think? Yeah, it's a, Yes and no. So uh, Francois put together a really nice um, CI template for automatically deploying to all of the platforms that Bepi supports, um, almost all the platforms. Uh, we, we kind of sort of support uh, mobile stuff with both Android and iOS, but Android is currently broken and iOS does have some constraints. So I like to say that Bepi currently quote unquote supports Wasm and then all the desktop platforms. And uh, so yeah, Francois built this really nice template. And if you use that, then all you had to do was publish to GitHub and do the small like bits and pieces to plug in the template. And then you have all the builds whenever you make a change. So that's currently the best way to do things. If you want to do the builds locally on your own computer, um, it gets a little more interesting. Like on Linux, cross-compiling is very straightforward for everything except targeting Mac. There's a dependency in our tree that does not like cross-compiling at the moment. Um, I think it's the metal bindings. Um, those are failing. And they might not need to fail. I think we might be able to fix that. But then Windows has its own constraints, and I'm sure Mac has its own constraints as well. Um, Have you any requests coming yet for uh, console support? Because you're just talking about like the different sort of environments that you're targeting. Is is console come up yet at all? Uh, it comes up pretty regularly. Like people definitely want to target Xbox and Switch and stuff in theory. Um, in practice, um, because we're still very new and uh, nobody's like building their next like big game in bevy yet um like and I'm, I'm i actively encourage people to not do that yet because we're still unstable and you shouldn't really be betting your livelihood or like the next three years of your life on us yet i like unless you're willing to really deal with a lot of these um uh like instabilities and like every release we're going to break you and uh you we don't have skeletal animation yet so if your game needs that you're gonna have to implement it yourself and uh so yeah like I love it when people start doing stuff professionally with Bevy, and we do have a lot of stuff um, happening in that space. Like people are doing it despite my warnings, but um, uh, I do still want to warn people about it. 
And I just want to say console wise, um, I just got my own Steam Deck. And so console is a lot more possible now. And so I think designing games that can have controller support as like the, the first class citizen and having like these extra inputs and being able to run on a screen that is controller based um, is definitely a lot more viable with uh, with this modern tech. So maybe it's not so far off to, to have people being able to play on handhelds. Uh, with uh, with some with some cool bevy games. Yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, I'm I'm relatively confident that this the Steam Deck will just work with bevy because yeah they made all of the the quote unquote right tech choices. Um, but then uh, I do also like to be a general purpose game engine, you kind of have to target consoles, and uh, that's on my uh, long term to do list. But it's it's just not something that I think is worth focusing on at this point. As soon as it's important to somebody where like they built a game and they're like, all right, I can target the desktop platforms, but I want to port to, to Xbox or Switch or something. Um, like then that will create the activation energy required to unblock those things. And I know that uh, Chucklefish at one point uh, was building a Rust engine. Uh, they're the people who did on, uh, what was it? Um, Star or something. It's kind of like Terraria, but uh, in space. Anyway, uh, they were doing Rust stuff, and they, they experimented with targeting Switch, and they built like a custom version of the Rust compiler and kind of proved that this was possible, but that it required a lot of work and uh, like really uh, technical uh, uh, stuff to be done. So like, uh, I've, I've never added a platform to the Rust compiler before, and I'm not sure I, I'll ever be equipped to do that, but um, there are people in the Rust community who are. So I think I think it's possible, um, but it's it's uh, I think Xbox might be easier, especially with like UWP and stuff. I think that might actually be pretty straightforward. Um, and uh, modern consoles are looking more and more like PCs, and I think they're using more and more of the same like core APIs. So I don't know. I've never done PS5 development before, but it'd be interesting to try to support Bevy to PS5. Yeah, I think the game was Starbound. Um... With Chucklefish, yeah. they were developing it in Rust, and then I think they switched back to C plus plus in the end. Yeah, so they, they are the company that did Starbound, and I actually I clocked some time in there. I like that game, but uh, uh, I think they were they were planning on building their next game in in Rust, and I think it was like a a wizard uh, school management game or something, or like an RPG set in wizarding worlds or something. And I think yeah, I think they ultimately decided not to use Rust. Um, uh, the, the Rust expert, I think, left the company or something. And so, yeah, I, I, I think there were there were a number of factors that played into that decision. Yeah, Wargroove was the game. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would... I remember Wargroove. Yeah. Um, just before we wrap up, uh, tell me about some things that are really exciting you in the bevy ecosystem right now yes all right uh lots of stuff is exciting me in the bevy ecosystem so i'll start with um some of the third-party projects that are out there and then i'll i'll segue into some of the the stuff that um people have been working on like within the bevy project proper um so i really like uh bevy rapier that's like the the best physics system integration we have so far um rapier is a great rust-based physics engine and they manage and maintain their own Bevy plugin. And they it both unlocks a lot of functionality that we don't provide in Engine. And it also, uh, they have plans to uh, improve the APIs and make them like kind of more Bevy native and stuff. Uh, so love, love that project. I think it's great. And um, 
hope to see more from it. And uh, Bevy eGUI is another really nice one. Um, so Bevy's UI system uh, is capable of doing most kind of like game type UIs. Um, it's based on Flexbox currently. Um, that's up for debate for what it'll look like in the future. Currently, it's based on Flexbox, which is should be familiar to web devs. And uh, uh, it does a lot of stuff, but uh, uh, it's a little bit boilerplatey. It's missing core, like built-in widgets. Like, do you want to place like a slider? Uh, like, we don't have that yet. Um, so uh, there's that's something we want to focus on in 2022, probably extending into 2023. Um, but Bevy um is a, a binding to the eGUI project, which is way farther along and uh, uh, is a really pleasant experience and pairs really nicely with kind of the system-based uh, uh, approach to writing stuff in Bevy. Uh, so love that crate. Um, let's see what some other stuff. Bevy Kira Audio is great. Uh, so the, the Bevy audio system is pretty bare bones. Like you can play stuff. Francois just added uh, uh, some some more stuff like, a, like pausing and playing and volume controls and speed controls. Um, but we're still barely scratching the surface of what's possible. And Bevy Kira Audio um, adds a lot of like the, the multi-track effect-based stuff that uh, some types of games would really benefit from. So that's filling a really a very real gap, um, and uh, it's a, a very pleasant experience. Um, let's see, uh, lots of interesting render work now. Um, people are kind of slowly adding and building uh, third-party render features. Like somebody's building a voxel cone tracer and uh, uh, somebody's building uh, an SDF renderer, um, sign distance fields. So you can do like smooth uh, curve rendering and shape rendering in 2D. Um, let's see. That's the stuff off the top of my head. Uh, but then on the, the Bevy side, like in, in the main engine org stuff, um, we've got a skeletal animation in the works. I think that's very important to prioritize now um, because uh, lots of 3D games rely on that and you can't really build serious 3D games without it. Um, so I'd love for that to be in, in 0.7 if possible. We are on a train release model now, so uh, we no longer like tailor releases to specific features and block them on those features. Uh, instead, we just every three months, we start the release process and then try to release within uh, like a week or so period. Um, and so it makes it makes it, um, but I want skeleton, skeletal animation to make it. Um, and then uh, we have render targets as like a, a proper feature where you can um, uh, render a scene to a texture or to another window and maybe put that texture into the primary scene. Um, so that's great for like, uh, let's see, mirrors and split screen. And uh, maybe you want to render UI to a texture and then render it in 3D space. Um, like lots of stuff in that space. And uh, that's another one that I really want to land. Um, uh, probably won't make it into 0.7, but I want asset pre-processing to land very soon uh, so that we can start doing things like uh, optimizing uh, meshes and textures on import. Um, See, so we don't have to do that at runtime and we can improve our, our runtime performance. Uh, and yeah, um, from there, UI and editor stuff uh, is probably going to be our focus. And I'm very excited about that. But uh, uh, 
that's going to be a very long road. <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah, it's been exciting to see, like, uh, just even the, the Bevy engine itself being split out into separate crates. I, I, I've been working on a, a little side project for a little while now. It's extremely text heavy um, and very kind of interface heavy kind of tycoon combat simulation game um which actually uses godot has a rust back end and i also use the bevy ecs crate um as an ecs back end awesome well. so, i love to hear that yeah. you're, you're merging uh my two favorite things <laughs> godot and bevy yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and, and this was the first time that it was actually made possible to do only recently so i was super excited when when the bevy ecs crate came out nice 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 love to hear it awesome Thank you so much, Carter, for joining us uh, today. Um, I appreciate you've been super busy. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. We're so excited about Bevy um, and, and everything that's coming up in the ecosystem this year. Um, thank you for all of your hard work. It's, it's really appreciated and for bringing more exposure to Rust and games development. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you on the show again in the future. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was great. I'd, I'd love to come back. And uh, it's been my pleasure uh, being a part of this community. And uh, thanks for everything you guys have been doing in the Rust community. It's game dev community space. Um, I love all the uh, uh, Rust game dev stuff that's come up, like the, the meetups especially. I'd love to start uh, participating in those. Um, so yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. This has been awesome.